Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risks and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the principal of Adam and Teen Energy. Everyone in the industry is facing massive disruption, and we talk this season about how game-changing leaders can embrace this disruption. Today's show, I speak with Ryan Keyes. He's president and co-founder of Triple Crown Resources. I was introduced to Ryan because his company did airborne methane surveys, and they really figured out how to harness the data to bring profit to their company. You're going to hear all about that. Ryan's a a recognized millennial leader. He holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Texas at Austin, a master's in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M. So we already know that Ryan knows how to hold a dichotomy, those two alma maters. There's a lot of interest in this interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, You can learn more about Ryan in our show notes. Uh, You are welcome to reach out to me and learn more about our Energy Thinks podcast at energythinks.com. Now here's my conversation with game-changing leader, Ryan Keyes. Well, Ryan Keyes, welcome. And thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, familiar with the the platform, and uh, grateful to be uh, you know grouped in this disruptor group. So uh, you know, hopefully, we can make that happen. Well, I will jump right into that because in 2020, Heart Energy named you to their 40 under 40. And in the interview, you shared that uh, the independent EMP business models have to evolve. And I want to help define what that looks like. I think that's pretty exciting and bold statement. So tell us, what does that look like? Well, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know, we the world still needs a lot of oil and gas, uh, probably more so than the average person thinks we need. All this capital has left uh, because the narrative is dominated by, well, oil and gas is, you know, yesterday's news, uh, you know, renewables are going to take market share, and they are. But energy growth worldwide is still happening. So, yeah. Oil and gas is seeding market share, but that pie is getting bigger. So even if oil and gas market share, the total energy needs is going down, the absolute consumption of oil and gas, according to just about every forecast we see, is flat for you know at least a decade, uh, if not more. And the amount of capital in this space is barely, you know, not even sufficient to keep production that supply flat. So we're, we're clearly, we have a narrative problem. This industry has never been good at marketing itself, uh, connecting with the end consumer, how important we are. And we need spokespeople. We need leaders to, to communicate that. We also have to evolve with the needs of society. And uh, we live in a, a democracy or a republic where we vote our politicians in, but we also vote for their pocketbooks as investors. So if investors in the United States want to see oil and gas companies with low carbon emissions, that's what we have to give them. Uh, Not only is it the right thing to do, but it's how we retain capital in this space and supply uh, the world with its its energy, with affordable energy. So now we've seen the majors make just huge changes in their strategy, and that fits the majors where they're, they're kind of, okay, an energy company, especially that the European majors, they're, they call themselves energy companies now, yeah, divesting oil and gas assets and recycling those proceeds into, into renewables development. But really, it's just sort of an energy conglomerate where they're kind of taping together two different businesses at top. 
And yeah, you can make carbon goals as a business, but that carbon, that oil and gas is still going to be produced. Uh, what it's doing is just depressing the valuation. It's still, it's still going to be produced. So if we re- want to make real life carbon reductions, we, we need it done kind of at the asset level. And that's what uh, Triple Crown is, is really interested in. We lead the um, Permian Basin in carbon emissions, uh, scope one, scope two, carbon emissions. Scope three is still kind of fuzzy uh, how that's defined and even if we should be calculating it. But if we just isolate scope one and scope two, uh, Triple Crown's leading the Permian Basin based on the data that, that we have. And that has put us in a um, you know a position where the limited capital in the space, especially the private space, it's so selective. And that is one of the, if not the highest, you know, high priority criterion is, is low carbon emissions, uh, you know, be, be good at ESG. And that's a whole nother discussion. What should we be focusing on? But I think everyone will agree that the, the carbon emissions matter the most and methane emissions being good at, you know, no flaring, keeping methane emissions at a minimum. Uh, and what else, uh, other ways we can, we can decarbonize our own operations. So we're, we're very, very focused on that, as well as being very, very good at uh, uh, developing oil and gas. And you know, eventually, uh, what we can do is you know, these two primary components of, of uh, you're reducing our, our carbon intensity, you know, there's just no flaring, except only in the you know, emergency circumstances and, and keeping uh, methane em- emissions at zero. This will continue to evolve. And um, eventually, oil and gas, you know, especially in, in West Texas and, and, and likely in in Colorado as well, with, with the development of all these renewables, you know, both West Texas and Colorado have amazing uh, solar resource. So eventually, we will not only have to work together with renewables developers, it probably makes the most sense for oil and gas companies to develop their, their own renewables and take advantage of all the asset level synergies that they create. So all those things are are what um, kind of a you know, long-term goals of, uh, of Triple Crown and hope uh, other, other independents follow suit. This is so interesting because you bring up a number of interesting threads that some find contradictory, but you have found a way to weave them together. One is that I think it's really not arguable that there's going to be significant oil and gas demand for decades. And we want the best producers producing that resource as opposed to pressuring through ESG or other incentives companies to divest from those resources. So that, that, that's just an interesting idea that I've been really thinking about. And, and the other thing that you've, you described, Ryan, is uh, an evolution. So I have been thinking a lot about the energy transition being the energy evolution and that and therefore there's room for companies to evolve. And you're describing business models cognizant of these asset level opportunities to produce yes. energy. So let me ask you about a little bit more about Triple Crown because sure. and how you think about uh, I just had Scott Sheffield on the podcast. And he's been a champion of reducing flaring in the Permian. But many smaller operators will say, well, we just can't do that. We, we don't have the resources to do that. And you very rarely see a small operator stepping out to say, we're going to lead on emissions reductions and flaring. And you already cited some stats that your company is, is acquiring the data to articulate. Can you talk about how you decided to lead that charge? And is it ultimately motivated by investor pressure? Or are there other reasons that you decided to take that, that stance? when it's, it's not obvious nor popular among smaller operators. 
Right. And part of this is, you know, if we're given this edict and, and some of it, it should be our own rules that we play by. I mean, we, we should not be emitting methane. Technology is there. It's there right now uh, where we can do all of this and do it profitably, regardless of what outside investor sentiment is doing. So the best way to ensure compliance with all of this is to make these activities profitable so that we're not just reacting to the pressure. We're running towards the goal because it's an everyone's best interest. So that's what we've been most focused on is how do we make all of this as profitable as, as possible? And uh, we've been pretty um, outspoken about the profitability of uh, reducing our, our methane emissions. Uh, so this is a great example. We have a, a couple of great partners uh, to date. We, you know, we started this about a year ago. Our total cost of that, that we have we have spent both detecting and remediating our, our, our methane leaks to date over the last 12 months, it's about $90,000. So what we have received from that in terms of captured methane, the value of the captured methane and the NGL's uh, natural gas liquids associated with it is about $1.3 million. So if I were to bring anyone a, a business opportunity, not methane, it could be selling cupcakes or whatever, where the cost is $90,000 and I make $1.3 million, regardless of what that is, that's a great business. So this is how we ensure this happens rapidly and with really enthusiastic adoption is just, we just make it profitable. Uh, we have the tools, uh, we have the technology. What's left is this, it's kind of a perspective. We have to make a choice, a very conscious choice to prioritize these things. If you do that, they're very smart people in this industry. They might not be prioritized and it's been, it's not been made, it's maybe not been communicated properly. But if we prioritize things, these things, we absolutely can make this profitable. And uh, you make it profitable again, it's just, it's just going to happen very rapidly and organically. And we can be regulated to do these things, but th those regulations aren't going to matter because we're going to want to comply with them and over comply uh, with them. So that, that's been, a, that's been Triple Crown's focus is, is just the, the, the profitability aspect of all of this. Ryan, the most interesting framing statement you, you made in all of that interesting <laughs> explanation is the idea of playing by our own rules and that being a motivator for being running towards these goals, which I find re really interesting as an inspiration rather than a, re a reaction or a defensive posture on these items. We were introduced by Steve Diker, the CEO of Kairos Aerospace, because he was so impressed by the way that you are willing to talk publicly as you just did about the methane leaks that you captured. Now, the, the striking things of, of your cupcake methane uh, bake sale is that obviously you captured a lot of methane. So just tell us a little bit about just how you have the courage to talk about how you embarked upon this and you found these leaks and you took care of them. Because I would, a lot of companies would say, we don't want to go out there and talk about this until it looks perfect. But you're talking right. about the change. And so how did you, how did you develop the wherewithal to do that. You know, it, it was kind of, um, it's just an, an awareness that we, we, we look at the data and it's just about, you know, framing the data in a way and just being honest with it. It's like, we're not being like, we can do this profitably. I, after we started objectively looking at the numbers, it's just like, well, gosh, it like, it was a huge realization for us. What like, after we found out how much we were, we were leaking and it was Steve Dyker's company, uh, Kairos that did the, the survey and they, they've been a great partner in all this. So we had to get over how much we were leaking first. 
years. And it's easier for Triple Crown to come out and say this because we have, we're private. We, we only have, you know, we, we have a limited number of equity investors. It's much harder for a pioneer to come out and say this because they have, well, millions of investors. And you know, ours, ours understand that they're more tolerant of it. We're, we're not going to have an overreaction from our investor base. So it's easier for a private company like us to go out and do this. But again, once we got over the shock about how much we were leaking, because the, the EPA, the current regulations, and they are changing very rapidly. I'm happy to get in, in, into this if you want. The current calculation indicated we, we were neg- leaking negligible methane. They're, they're based on some antiquated regulations. The as measured, what we was actually leaking instead of what the, the spreadsheet numbers said we were leaking, uh, it, it, it was massive. So there's this kind of this shock. So we had to acknowledge that first. We had to look at the data and just be honest with it. Like we are leaking way more than we thought we were leaking, number one. That's unfortunate, but what it does is create a gigantic opportunity. So you can't fix what you don't acknowledge, number one. <laughs> so we, we had to acknowledge it. And I was just, okay, if we get out there and just say, you know, hey, like if we all do this in unison, the narrative, you know, our, our collective behavior in oil and gas and with respect to emissions can change. We start really contributing to that narrative. So that that was really it. And we, we didn't really get paid for this, but if Triple Crown can be associated with that, that kind of being the tip of the spear of that narrative in, in our own unique, in our own way that, that we can contribute to, that's really all the, the payment we need because it, it, it makes our investors happy and, and opens the door to other investors. So we thought just like, let's just be open and honest about this. And I, at first, I, I thought, um, you know, that the, the first presentation I made was at Doug Permian about six months ago. And I was kind of hesitant. It's like, you know, what, what is the reaction going to be? It was overwhelmingly positive. Um, mm. it, it was it was a lot of thank you for coming out and, and just showing your data because there's a lot of people who are afraid of what this says and how to interpret it. There's also a lot of confusion. Right. Uh, and, and, and for good for good reason, there's just the, the goalposts are moving. It's not because there's some conspiracy, but all of these these numbers, uh, you know, this this movement, this let's let's reduce methane emissions. But by what to and by what standard? We have a bunch of opinions, and, and they're coalescing every day. Is but it's an evolution, so it, it's it's frustrating. And so that that's what we've we kind of decided was let's just be open about it, about our experience because if we're going through this, everyone else is too. The 2021 shareholder proxy season held important lessons for oil and gas companies, with investors imposing new demands on targeted firms. What does all this mean for your company? Adam Mateen's latest white paper gives you our top-line proxy season insights. Download it today at energythinks.com backslash papers. That's energythinks.com backslash papers. And now, back to the show. I think this is really important. And one of the things we end up talking about a lot in our writing and Adam and Tina in this podcast is how industry often does not want to be first movers, but there's a lot of incentive to be fast followers. And so in many ways, Triple Crown gave did that hard tip of the spear work that now provides cover for other companies to go out and do the work and show the difference. And and to your point, EPA's emission factor regulations, where you estimate your emissions, a reckoning is certainly on the way. And companies are going to have to show measured data and they're going to have to reconcile their estimates with their actuals. And the sooner companies get on the bandwagon, uh, the better. And so it's, it's really exciting 
how you you started that. So l- let me give you a chance to um, expand upon uh, something that I read about you in Digital Wildcatters earlier this year. You talked about how, as you just mentioned, companies want to detect leaks, but they're not putting this into a business model mindset, a profit-driven mindset. So you've talked about how it can be that, but can you talk a little bit more about the practical components of that? How do you talk to your executive team? How do you set it up in incentive structures if that's relevant? Um, how do you talk to your investors? What are the practical considerations for companies that are saying, okay, we, we buy it. How do, how do we get going on this? Yeah. And the biggest one is, I mean, it's, it's going to sound like, you know, cliche, but I mean, you, re- you need buy, do need buy-in at every level. Every person has to prioritize it. Like this is one of our biggest priorities as a business. And that has to be foundational, uh, you know, to all of this. And especially if you call yourself you know, a data-driven business, uh, you get some data, like, what does it mean? How do we integrate this? How do we either reduce risk or and as it turns out, make money on it. So it's it's just you know being being objective and, and honest with with your data. But yeah, you're, you're making it a priority. And at bigger organizations that have more inertia, uh, that's that's more difficult because processes are are, are are more set in place. And you know we're we're a, we're a great size because you know we, we have a pretty good sized operation, but with a first name basis with every every employee at Triple Crown know a lot about them. So it, it's easier to get company wide buy in. Uh, that, that that's another advantage that that Triple Crown has. Uh, so it it takes less time to pivot and and, and make it a priority. And uh, you know, bigger companies are just going to be challenged by this just because of their size and inertia. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And it, everyone bought in. It was like, here, here's why we're doing this. Here's why it's important. Here's here's the the part that everyone can play. And, and uh, yeah, we, we do have full company wide buy in for this. This is part of our identity, uh, and and it's important. And it, we have people being you know, folks at Triple Crown very proactive about this, staying, making sure we stay at the tip of the spear. We stay at the leading edge because it, that this is this is a competitive advantage we have. If I'd no love to ask reason, you a, l- a little bit more about that because I was just thinking about how you operationalize that. So there's the cultural component you're speaking to the buy-in, but then there's putting that innovation that oil and gas operations is so good at. How do you mobilize that innovation talent to keep coming to you with the next solution? That's a good question. And a lot of it is is, uh, finding that balance between uh, direction and giving people autonomy and um, letting people own it, you know, like own part of the of, of the narrative of, of the business. I mean, and, and this is this is this is massive. And everyone wants to be, uh, you know, have that autonomy where they can be they can be creative and 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 aren't just following some some rigid procedure. Uh, so a lot of it's that, and, and it. So another is again might sound cliche, but it's just just having really good people, and then making sure interests are aligned, and and um, you know, keeping people keeping people motivated. And there's a Comfort level, uh, you know, regardless of where you are, whether you're a you know executive at a small ENP or a manager at a big ENP or something, that there's a there's this comfort level that folks might have with depending on the person who is who is reporting to you, you know, how much how much autonomy and freedom they get, you know, our our interests align. So that that's that's definitely part of the the, the culture at, at Triple Crown. People have a lot of a lot of freedom to go to, to go do this. That's really interesting, and I bet that is going to contribute to your thoughts on my next question, which is um, our, our industry, like every industry, is facing a real challenge with talent retention and talent recruiting. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, I am presuming a 
millennial leader yourself, how do you attract and retain diverse workforce, including Gen Z, that for our listeners, that that youngest generation just coming out of college now, and our millennials who are leaders who um, are just have just turned 40 in the last year or two. What, what are your thoughts about employee retention and recruiting and diversity? Well, I mean, a lot of it is there's a bigger priority with with younger generations, millennial and, and, and Gen Z. I mean, they're just not not profit driven and not saying older generations are, but there's more, you know, more of a waiting and you can quantify this in a number of ways, but you know, where does, where does a young person decide to go work and be enthusiastic there and be a contributor? And, and, you know, a lot of it is, is, you know, a you know, social dividend. There are a few different studies, you know, there's a um, you know, few different economic studies on this, but you know, having that, well, we're making money and we're doing this for the world. And communicating that properly, and you know, we can say very legitimately, like, okay, number one, we're we're providing low cost, reliable energy for the world. Of course, that's that's why we were we were formed. But we're doing it in a way where we're leading that our industry in in you know carbon emissions, uh, where where this world is going, this country is going, and and we're innovating and allowing people to be creative with their with their talents, their their innate talents is um, uh, creates a lot a lot more satisfaction. I mean, of course, balancing that with the you know the practical needs and the operational needs is, is, is always a challenge. But you know, we we found that 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 sweet spot. We we think between being a good investment and also being you know having that extra social dividend, you know, be, being paid to our, our our team members. So we, we want to keep that culture going. It's it's really valuable. That's novel. I have spoken to many oil and gas executives and you're the first to talk about a social dividend in our work. So that's going to be a really interesting idea for us to continue to explore. In that spirit, we have a lot of millennial listeners because, um, well, you know, they're the future of our industry and they're really interested about how we pivot from being disrupted to being disruptors. But what advice do you have for them? Why should they stay in this industry when everyone from, you know, grandpa to um, their friends at the barbecue are saying you're working in an industry of the past. What, what advice do you have for them? You know, there's, um, you know, narratives often overshoot reality and you want to be at the, at the absolute bleeding edge of innovation and thought. Uh, find that radical nuanced middle ground. And it is right. So like it, it's radical because it's not radical. It's, it's nuanced. It, it is a balanced view using actual facts um, and instead of narrative to then create the narrative. And that's what we can do with all of this. We can, we can create, we can, we can still generate hydrocarbons, you know, profitably. And, and we can do this simultaneously lowering our, our collective carbon emission, meeting the energy needs of the world while with an eye on the 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 goals and and um, the emissions targets for you know for the US for Paris climate accords so wh- whoever you're looking towards we can do this and still generate and still produce hydrocarbons profitably that's pretty radical that's a radical thought like like i mean it's almost sounds too good to be true but we can do this we get the whole world the whole industry moving in this direction and yes we can do this and and getting that that edgy that say hey oil and gas is part of the solution i mean a 25 year old saying that and having the data to, to back it up that is edgy there, there are not a lot of people out there <laughs> with with that viewpoint but that is reality that that is absolutely reality and and, and 
and and the more we can play in this nuanced radical middle ground where where not very many people are brave enough to play in the faster it happens absolutely ryan that's that's so interesting and inspiring to hear an oil and gas company ceo talk to our our emerging leaders in that way because i do believe that uh climate addressing climate addressing carbon emissions happens faster better cheaper at scale with the oil and gas industry fully engaged and that doesn't happen without our talent our millennial talent being at the wheel with us uh figuring out how to push it forward so i love that so speaking of radical nuanced edges ryan give us some thoughts and feel free to go as far off script as you want about what's next what are the ideas that you're thinking about that in your leadership strategy and your style and your company what are the things that happen next that continue to bring innovative change to your company and to our industry well, it's um, there's the balance between in the the more boring uh, to talk about maybe, but you know, very very important obviously. Like we we still have to be very profitable, you know, producing producing oil and gas. So that's uh, that's number one. Um, so on top, so we're so capital intensive though. It's such a big operation. Um, if you allow some some space for kind of you know just just uh, indulging thought experiments. Okay, what about this? What about that? You know how can we go from here to there? There being like, you know, just an energy company, a prototypical uh, energy transition company, but the one that does that on the asset level. Yeah, let's make, let's be the lowest cost producer and lowest carbon producer of oil and gas on the planet, number one, and also the lowest cost producer of renewable energy. We can, we can do that. It, it takes, it takes a conscious choice. And it takes some some uh, like some of these steps between here and there. We're not, we don't know those yet, but you, you get the right people and and um, you know, motivate them properly. We do have the tools to to, to get there, and and, and it, it involves just just staying staying in, the, in that that radical middle ground, that 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 nuanced middle ground. So ENPs should be, especially those in West Texas. Um, we see all the all the wind turbines out there. We see all the all, all the solar. Uh, solar arrays going up. Interesting stat: the uh, Texas, West Texas, uh, has more uh, solar either permitted, planned, or under construction right now than California. It's just it doesn't. That's not a stat that really gets gets shared very much. But there is a massive amount out there. It's because we're we're blessed with good solar resource. Our takeaway in terms of high high voltage transmission lines, it's a little it's getting a little clogged right now. Where we need to build that out, but it was built out thoroughly 15, 20 years ago. And, and, and we're taking advantage of that now. So why why is this? Why are these two different companies? Like what what drives me crazy? You drive around West Texas, you see roads. There's one right next to our assets, and you know, a road going to a pad for a big winter. And on entrance to the road, it says no oil field traffic. You go go down another hundred yards as a road going to a pad for oil and gas. Say no no wind traffic. It's like what what a colossal waste of money. Why are these not like how much money could both of these projects have? saved if we were using you know the same resources. So this is how oil and gas companies can can be the lowest cost producers of renewable energy on the planet is because we're building all of that infrastructure anyway, or, or a lot of it. We're building a lot of that infrastructure anyway. Those civil costs that go in, the land is already there. 
we have surface use agreements. Uh, we have all the relationships already there. Uh, these things can and should be planned in tandem to lower the cost of both. And at the top, you know, this this uh, you know energy company, and it's not go back to the what the majors are doing, Total and Shell, and to some extent Exxon. You know, it's they have oil and gas assets and renewable assets, and they're they're just separate. There's not a lot of synergy there, and and they they combine at at the you know at, at the top. What we're talking about here for independence to do is is to get the actual asset level synergy going on, where, where they're sharing infrastructure and you're sharing actual people. And those people are incentivized to do both and do both of them really well. So ultimately, there's there are too many tailwinds for this to happen. I'm sorry, for, for this to, to, to not happen in some shape or form. But it is going to take a lot of people in the oil and gas industry to, to make this a priority uh, because we have the relationships, we have the infrastructure, we have the lease agreements and surface use agreements. And we're the ones who can make this happen. And we should. And, and, and everyone should benefit. Mm, super interesting. So as a, as a final takeaway to our, our audience, we're, we're wrapping up one year and starting another. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the values that drive you in your leadership and what you are optimistic about in the new year or in the next chapter. I'll answer your, your last question first. You know, with, with all this uh, uncertainty and, and methane regulation. We've been involved with Kairos, uh, you know, other firms, and have been speaking a, um, quite a bit to the EPA about where these regulations are going. And the EPA, and, and uh, we actually spoke to, to staffers at the White House about this too, with, with Kairos. So there's been a lot of involvement. Uh, Triple Crown has been involved. I personally have been, been involved in these conversations. Uh, other folks at Triple Crown have too. And what's What's been very interesting is is the not only did the White House, which is ostensibly anti oil and gas, which they're not very shy about that, um, they could just be politics, but the uh, soliciting solicitation of the oil and gas industry by the EPA for how do we get this new technology approved? So in working with the oil and gas industry to say, okay, what technology is most cost effective, uh, or just just what is yeah, what the cost down as, as, as low as we can and, and not be overly burdensome uh, to create, you know, which creates perverse incentives. So we, we've been very involved with that. I've been, I've been very involved with that and several conversations over the last several months and their proposals, their initial proposals. I mean, the most amazing thing happened after reading and digesting their proposals. It was very clear that they listened. They listened and you just go treat people with respect. And yeah, it, maybe it's not perfect if, if you're, you know, an oil and gas executive, you then the methane regulations aren't perfect, but they're, we can work with these. We can definitely work with them. And it's clear they, they listen to the industry. So I thought that was amazing with all of the, the negative news, with all the, the how polarized this country is with everything. Oil companies and the EPA got together and were making regulations that more or less work for the oil and gas industry. No, not perfect, but they work. It's not overly burdensome. And I, I thought that was amazing. And it, it wouldn't have happened without very enthusiastic participation from the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, that, that includes firms like like uh, like Kairos. And, it speaks uh, to the power of shared aspirations. When companies are saying, we too want to reduce methane emissions, let's figure out the best way to get there. It mm-hmm. changes the dynamic and it's encouraging to me to hear that that had on the ground, pragmatic, implementable results. So con- congrats on that. So let me give you a second. I interrupted you to talk a little bit about what, what values are, are going to take you into the next year. 
a lot of it is uh, is uh, <laughs> my my favorite uh, quality in, in people is um, you know, the commonality with with my 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 favorite people I like either in the industry or you know friends or, or whatever people who are curious and that there, there's there's an openness with a curious person that you get that it's just it's just hard to it's hard to adapt if you're not curious uh, you have to almost want to evolve so that just just embracing all of the all of the change and th- there is uncertainty among all of this and that's it, some of it's kind of I mean it, 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 it's a lot you know having to deal with with all this uncertainty and that's humans evolved to not like uncertainty but uh, we we do know enough where we can clearly define a goal we can see it we don't necessarily know the exact steps to get there but we do have enough certainty where we can be confident that we will get there we can be, be an energy company that still produces a lot of low-cost reliable energy so yeah that 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 curiosity is, is it and, and almost you know almost using that as to to give give us as an industry, or at least the, the folks at Triple Crown Energy, is like, hey, here's what we know. Be, let's be creative. Here, here, here are our guardrails. Let's let's work within that and, and, and just try to make this work and make money doing it. That's a so great I, way. Curiosity. That's a great way for us to go into 2022. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Ryan Keyes for taking the time to share his insights with us. And the game-changing insight today for me was um, he had several ways of framing this pivot from disruptor to from being disrupted to being the disruptor. And one was, hey, we should play by our own rules. We should decide that these are the end goals and run toward them. And I thought that was a very optimistic and uh, engaging framework. I'd like to know what you found insightful. So visit our podcast website at energy thinks.com backslash podcast and let me know. I would love it if here at the end of the year, you would take a moment and review us. I want to thank Adon Rubio, Lindsay Slaughter, and Michael Tanner for making the Energy Thinks podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.